Well, good morning. So we have been in a series, like I said, for eight weeks, and we've been preaching through this idea of the Holy Spirit and what that means from everything from being led by the Spirit and filled by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, the Spirit come upon, uh, coming upon you, gifts, and, and, and all that that includes. And we got to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, and I really felt like God said, pump the brakes a little bit and get into this a little bit deeper. And so we have. And so we're breaking just the gifts of the Spirit off into four weeks of messages. And so this is the third um, week of the fruit of the Spirit that we've been talking about. Last week we talked about, as we engaged in this, we talked about the idea of bearing fruit and how if we stay connected to the vine and allow this painful, oftentimes painful, but important pruning process to take place and continue, that he will, you will grow in the fruit that you bear because here's what happens, the Bible, the Jesus said that any, any branch that does not bear fruit is then severed and cast off to be burned. And so that's, to, to avoid being severed from God, we're called to bear fruit. And so we started talking and, 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 and embracing what this looks like. And last week we talked about love and we talked about joy and we talked about peace and how this is the inner work of the Holy Spirit in us. You it's one thing to say I love others, but here's the reality. If you truly don't love yourself, it's very, very difficult to love others. And you can't really love yourself unless God has deposited his love in you. Same thing with his joy and the same thing with his peace. And so we embrace this idea of growing in this inner work and how love, we talked about how love was the willful desire to treat others as God has treated us in Christ. It is a choice. You make a choice to love someone, you make a choice to not love them. That is our choice. And then same thing with joy. Joy is this inner thing that God does within us, and it's this natural experience that comes from understanding our salvation and understanding the blessings that stem from it. I mean, you have to realize if, and, and I even used, and Nate wasn't here last week, but he was, he's here this week. I even used him as an example how he said he, he, he whenever he comes up here and preaches, he says there's one thing he says couple things he says every single time but one thing he says almost every single time he preaches he says that I am glad that I'm saved and that's the joy of the Lord that is in him it comes out of him because he has this understanding of his salvation and it brings him joy and that's what it is it's a natural experience he didn't wake up one day and say okay Nate tell yourself that you're glad you're saved it was a natural experience that came from understanding that salvation and what Christ has done and then we talked about peace and how peace is the quietness of the soul that is unmoved despite the trials and tribulations on earth. That there's this peace that God has, according to Philippians, that what Paul wrote, that surpasses all understanding when everyone else around you suggests that your, your soul should be stirring and angry and frustrated. There's just this calm and there's this peace that passes all understanding. And so as we move on in our series, and specifically in the fruit of the Spirit, I'm going to spend some time looking into Scripture concerning patience. Ooh, I'm preaching. Remember, I've said this before. I'll say it right now to preface this. That I preach first to myself and then to y'all. So I preach this to myself, and, and I, I'm giving myself another opportunity to respond to the gospel. <laughs> Let's just say that. Concerning patience and kindness and goodness. And the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others 
as better than yourselves. Not looking at someone and saying, oh, you're so much better than me. Woe is me. I wish I was as good as you. Not actually in that capacity. Thinking of others as better than yourselves simply means by thinking of their needs and what they need from God above what you need. And don't look only at only your own interests, but take interest in others too. Have you ever been around someone and had the conversation with them and you're sharing with them and, and you're just sharing like something that you're interested in or that you enjoy or that you love and then literally they interject about halfway through your conversation and tell you all the things that they love? They laugh because some folks know people like that. That's what the Bible is talking about. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others. Not just superficially with things like interests, but also with what they're doing in life. I, um, there's a family in our church, her name, um, the Lobdell family. They've been coming for a couple years now, and Samantha had a surgery, and so she hasn't been able to be with us for a few weeks. But I have, I've wanted to, and I've gone to pick up her son, KJ, Every, uh, the last two Sundays, and he and I had a really good conversation to church. He was talking about the pe- all the he. He was talking about all the people that have brought him food, brought his family food during this time. And I said, well, do you know why they do that? And he says, why? I said, because here's the thing the Bible tells us, and I explained this to him. So the Bible tells us that we ought to bear with one another's burdens together. And so what that means is that when somebody goes through something, we ought to go through it together. And so you find yourself in a situation where mama's not feeling so well, but she's got three kids at home. And so how do we balance helping to take care? Well, we, we bring dinner. And so that's one less thing she has to worry about doing. We're bearing the burden with her, and that's what this is all about. And so why did I share that when we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit? It's because these three pieces that we're going to talk about, these three ideas in the fruit of the Spirit, patience, kindness, and goodness, refer to our relationships with one another. The first three really refer to what God's doing inside of us. Yes, they manifest in our relationships with each other, the way we love others, the way we are joyful, and the way we have peace in our relationships. But that's all done from inside first. What we're talking about today is really in our relationships with others. And how the, how, how the point of others-focused life is also a led-by-the-spirit life. So the title of our message today is Others-Focused. Because a, a truly a spirit-led life is one that leads us to focusing on others rather than just on ourselves. You know, it's a, the point of an others-focused life is to be led by the spirit is to be a solution to the problem and not be the problem. You know, you've heard people say, well, be part of the solution versus being part of the problem. I would say, as a spirit-led believer, you are the solution to the problem. That you come with this, this peace and this love and this grace and this mercy and this patience and this kindness and this goodness towards others. That you are actually part of, you are the solution rather than part of the solution. Because truth is, the solution to every one of our problems, the solution to every single thing that ails us, whether it's mentally, physically, emotionally, or spiritually, is simply Jesus. He is the solution. That's why he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I have brought this good work and I will see it to completion. He is the solution to everything. And so it leads us to Galatians chapter 5, which is the passage of scripture that we have been in for a couple of weeks now. And the Bible says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. 
I've made mention of this and preached this, so I'm not going to preach it right today. But fruit, just so you know, is a singular word in this context. It's not plural. It's not to say these are, these are things that you get to pick and choose from, like you're going to the grocery store and say, I'm going to get apples and grapes today, but I'm going to leave the strawberries and the blueberries because, yeah, I'm not really a fan. That's like saying, well, I'm going to choose kindness today and goodness, but eh, I'm going to leave patience alone and forget about gentleness. That's, I, I, I don't need any of that today. This is all what a spirit-led life looks like. You will have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the all-important self control. There is no law against these things, Paul says in verse 23. So let's jump into this in your notes. The very first blank, they're very simple again this week, just like last week. The very first blank is patience. What is patience? Besides this thing that, you, that, that I constantly tell you I don't have. God's convicted me about that. I'll share that in just a minute too. But in the original language, the word patience has a very powerful and actually a very multi-layered meaning. It suggests that we should be able to patiently endure difficulty. Well, what does patience mean? It means slowly, slowness, sorry, slowness to avenging wrongs. Slowness to avenging wrongs. I'll use myself as an example of my driving issues. Folks cut me off. I am not slow to avenge that wrong. So patience means the willingness to suffer long. Hence a lot of other translations use the word long-suffering. It's the willingness to suffer long. And I've shared this in this church many times before, and I will share it many more times to come. My spiritual father, and, and the reason why I even am pastoring a church today, and the reason it even exists today, he spoke something into my life one time. He told me, he said, he said, the measure in which you will grow, and he wasn't even talking about the church, but he was talking about me personally, but it's connected to anything that you do. The measure in which you're will, that you will grow is directly connected to the measure in which you're willing to suffer and continue moving forward. So if you want to grow much, whether it be in life, in your career, in your spiritual, spiritual walk, you have to be willing to suffer much. And that's what patience means, the willingness to suffer long. So patience is that quality of being where the mind holds out before giving away to action. So the mind is holding out before I give way to action. Patience is this willingness to bear under trial and inconvenience, unkindness, and all kinds of forms of provocation that cause you to lose your composure in Christ. And so I have said many times that I have issues with patience when it comes to driving. And here's what the Lord convicted me of. While I'm not suggesting that I don't have those issues, the bigger issue is that I keep speaking it. God says, you keep speaking. You keep saying that you suck at this. And so I'm like, wow, I do. I keep speaking. And, and, and you, you have the ability. The Bible says what? Life and death is in the power of the, the tongue. And so I have this ability to speak death into myself. And even though it's like this simple thing about driving, it actually is a big deal. 
because it, it, it's what I have, I have literally, as, as, as a person, as a man, just like everyone else, walking out this life of faith, I have literally said, I can do all these things, except when it comes to driving, I've resided myself to that I cannot be patient. And I've spoken that over myself. And so I, I've, God's convicted my heart and said, Mike, that's, that's, that's not just simply not true. You just have to grow in that area. And so I'm going to continually give you opportunities to grow. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I try not to be sarcastic in that. But the reality is it's a challenge. And it's, it's, it's a difficulty because here's the thing. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 3 through 6, we live in such a way, and he says we live in such a way. Believers, Christians, those who love Christ, live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us. And no one will find fault with our ministry. Oh, that's the part that gut punched me. Because think if I think about it like this. I'm driving down the road, and this person cuts me off, and I put my bumper about six inches from their bumper, and I'm telling them all kinds of stuff that they can't hear anyway. Let's just say they look in the rearview mirror and notice, wow, that's Pastor Mike. I went to his church before. Whoo. Gut punch. And so and he says, it says, so no one will find fault with our ministry. So here's the thing. Because of my lack of patience in that moment, I'm gonna, the fault is going to be found with my entire church. Because uh, let's just be real. That's what we do. You don't like the one thing that I say, the church is what's wrong. It's what we do as people. Not just, it's just what we do. Verse 4, he goes on, in everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. Are you listening? Because if you're glad that you're saved... This is what it looks like. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently, oh, there's that word again. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. Paul goes on to say in verse 5, we have been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. He lists six things that none of us in this place, with the exception maybe of gone without a few sleepless nights, yet not in the same context, but six things that we don't have to deal with in modern Christianity, especially in the Western part of the world. We don't face, we don't get beaten and put in prison and face angry mobs and work to exhaustion and endure sleepless nights and gone without food because we are believers. Paul did. Matter of fact, most of the disciples, in some capacity, did. He went on in verse 6 to say, we prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, and there's this word again, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love. He just, just said, I'm going to list out some fruit, even though I'm not speaking to the Galatian church, speaking to the Corinthian church, but it's still all the same because it's relevant for everyone. This is how we prove so there is a reality that says that we must prove ourselves, not to someone. We now have to prove that I'm worthy of the calling that God has given me, or I don't have to prove that I'm worthy of the salvation that I have, because all that is a grace gift of which I already know I don't deserve. I know I don't deserve it, but God says I'm worthy of it, and so that's the end of that story. But we do have to prove that we are who we say we are, and patience is a part of that. I'll tell you a quick story here. When I was, when I was young, I joined the United States Army. And um, 
And like I said, I've spoken of my lack of patience in life, especially when driving. But part of the conviction that God has given me in, my, in, in how I speak about myself concerning patience, he then gave me and brought my mind all the way back to basic training in the United States Army. And, and as I was recalling this, I began to repent for speaking that way, first of all, because I remember being provoked mercilessly in basic training. My drill sergeant, for months and months and months, it was a constant, never-ending, until the day I graduated, a provocation of me. This is, this is what it looked like. I'll tell you a couple of instances of what it looked like. I remember three specific instances, and I'll share with you briefly. You'll get a good laugh at some of these for sure. Day one. Day one, I walk in, I get off of the bus, freshly buzzed, bald-headed, and there was this thing that took place that's known in the military circles as a shark attack. So it's kind of, they call it that because if you know how sharks work, if there's blood in the water, they all come. It's not just the one that comes. One smells it, the rest smell it. Next thing you know, they have these sharks all over this area where there's blood in the water. Whether it's a human being or it's, uh, it's another animal or fish, it doesn't make a difference to them. They just attack this thing. So new recruit equals fresh meat. So these three drill sergeants come, one right in front of my face, one to my, le- my right, and one to my left. And they begin to speak things about me that I think my mama would have slapped them for because they said some horrific and horrendous nasty things of which I can't even, I cannot even elude to in church. Like they make me blush to this day. They are so awful. And I remember the one in front of me as he is barking in the worst tone he has, head bouncing, the round brown rim of his hat pounding me on the bridge of my nose because in the 90s, there was still some physical altercation that was allowed. Today, no way. But this brim of his hat bouncing off my nose, by the time this whole thing was done, I felt about this big. I felt like I had zero value or worth because that's pretty much what they told me. And my nose is bleeding. There's blood dripping down my nose because that skin is thin right there. And so that was, one, that was my very first experience. Now, mind you, my growing up said somebody else in any other context did that, they would have been picking themselves up off the floor because I would not have stood for that. But in that context, I stood for it. I remember one other time later on in basic, I was running to the chow line because I was running behind, and I ran right past the drill sergeant. You heard the chuckle because you know you don't do that. If you run up on a drill sergeant, you stop. You snap yourself to what they call parade rest. You stand there, chest out, shoulders back, hands at the small of your back, elbows tight, and until they dismiss you and tell you you can move. Yeah, I ran right past this drill sergeant. This particular drill sergeant screamed at me, drawing me back to them. Now, this particular drill sergeant was two interesting things, five foot two inches tall and a woman. I'm six foot one inches tall and not a woman. I've towered a foot over this woman. 
I was more scared that day than I have ever been in my entire life. She ripped me up one side and down the other and then made me do about, I think it was, I think it was by the time it was all said, about 275 push-ups for my insubordination and running past her. I never ran past a drill sergeant again in my life. And so it was an interesting conversation because she said things like this. Are you eyeballing me, boy? No, drill sergeant. What's the matter? I'm not good enough for you to look at? Yes, you are, drill sergeant. Oh, so you want to look at me now. You get where I'm going, right? There's no winning this. I was done. I was in trouble. It was over for me. And I am, like, just going. I mean, it's just, and here in the back of my mind, I mean, remember, I'm, I'm a 19-year-old boy. Back of my mind, I'm like, I am getting dealt with, embarrassed, ridiculed, and destroyed by a woman a foot shorter than me. Most intimidating woman I've ever met in my life. Another moment, though, that I endured. Last one I'll share with you is this. This is post-graduation. I'm at my duty station. My dad was a grand sergeant major in the United States Army. He was both stationed in Florida, Texas. He was over in um, 4th Infantry Division. I was in the 1st Cavalry Division, so we were separated by divisions, but on the same post. My, uh, a guy I referred to as uncle, um, who I'd known since I was a baby, he was a brigade command sergeant major, so he was even higher rank, and he had married, actually, lieutenant colonel, which pretty much ended his rank ascension. He would have ascended, but there's a whole rule about officers and enlisted men together. And so my dad invited, I invited my dad to, to lunch that day. I show up, and it's my dad, my Uncle Henry, and his wife. And I walk up, and I did what I did. I walked right up, which is the right thing to do. The officer outranks both of those men. I saluted that woman, kept on going, addressed my, uh, addressed my uncle as brigade command sergeant major as I would, and then addressed my dad as dad. After all, he's my dad. Yeah, so my dad got into me. How, do you, how are you supposed to stand when you talk to a, a superior non-commissioned officer? And I was like, I was lacking a little patience that day. So I stood to parade rest. And then my aunt started, I called her my aunt. She wasn't really my aunt, but I called her that. She started talking to me, and then I turned to her and addressed her. And she says, how are you supposed to stand when you are addressing an officer? <sighs> stand at attention. And this went on for about five minutes. Attention, parade rest, attention, parade rest. Attention. Back, I was like, you know what? And this is where I, so the other, those two moments I, I, I endured long. This one I endured five minutes. I said, you know what? I said some colorful things because I was unsaved, and I walked away and said, you can buy your own lunch. I got in my car, and I left, and they're laughing. I look them in the rearview mirror, and they're all laughing at me. I shared those three simple stories to show we have the ability to endure suffering long if we look at it in the right context. My first two contexts, there's no way on this earth I was going to ever talk back because I knew it would cost me physically. It would cost me awfully bad. And so, but in, later on, the context changed a little bit. I could have gotten in more trouble, but I, I just took it to say my dad wouldn't get me actually in real trouble because they were messing with me. But I endured not as long. So we have this ability. This interesting thing is these moments 
were meant, here's what's really cool and what God put in my heart. These moments were meant to demean me and even embarrass me and destroy me. That's, that, that's, what, that's what everybody's perception is. When you hear stories like that, like, man, not military is awful to people. But they were meant in an effort to teach me how to endure all kinds of psychological, physical attacks without losing my mind or my composure. Why? Because at some point in time, the goal in training was to ensure that in actual combat, each soldier would be able to maintain the composure when surrounded by chaos. I would submit to you that in life, sometimes you are surrounded by chaos. And by going through these things, we learn to be able to endure through all kinds of these issues, these attacks, both spiritual and physical and psychological. We learn to endure these things. Why? So that we, when we're in the middle of real chaos, we can figure out how to be at rest. Staying patient in the midst of these situations is, can be the difference in victory or defeat. And for the soldier, it can be the difference in even life or death. The same is true when it comes to spiritual warfare. Keeping one's spirit in check is often the difference between spiritual life or the fall into sin. Because here's the reality. My lack of patience, while funny, is sin. When I drive up on that person's bumper and I start to tell them that they are a moron, I have now fallen into sin. And you might not think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. No, it is. It's still sin. And so by, by keeping the, this idea of patience and allowing God to work in us, it keeps our spirit in check. I spend a lot of time on patience because I believe patience is one of the hardest things for us to endure because we're not patient with one another. We're not patient with our children. We're not patient with God. Because God's spoken some things or God said some things or God's done some things, and for whatever reason, we say it should happen on our timetable. And when it doesn't happen on our timetable, then we say things like, well, God's just not real. Or he just doesn't listen to me anyway, so I'm going to do whatever I want. Because it's not happening on our timetable. Patience is the greatest, greatest attribute or fruit to learn, especially as you walk with Christ. That's why I spent so much time on it. The second one I spent a little bit of time, a little less time in this, obviously, is, um, is this idea of kindness. The word is interesting, and it has a very interesting meaning, and I actually only recently discovered this through Scripture. The word literally means useful kindness, meaning it literally is a need meeting kindness. You know, we think of it as, I'm being nice to you. I just spilled water on my Bible. Whoops. It's devastating. But we, we look at it and say, oh, well, we're nice to one another. We got to be nice with one another. That's really not what the definition means. It means I, my kindness has to have value. It has to have a use. It has to be meeting needs. This kindness refers to an attitude that is reflected in generosity and, and being gracious. Matter of fact, kindness is this disposition of character that is best seen in what we give, not just what we say. Kind people are generous in everything. It's the opposite of being mean-spirited, cheap, legalistic, or narrow-minded. Kindness is I am kind-spirited, I am generous, I am graceful, and I am open-minded as 
is necessary to win people to Christ. We become so narrow-minded in our view of what, of what Christianity looks like that if it doesn't fit into my little box of what I believe, then it's, a, it's chaos, it's mess, and I don't want no part of it. There are very few people or things that God says have no part of. There are very few people, but otherwise, God's like, you know, we need to love one another. I mean, Jesus, after all, chose some people, some miscreants, some people you and I would never choose to usher in this this world-changing, life-altering movement known as Christianity. But a kind person is first aware of what God has done for them and then is moved because of that in their benevolence to others. Kindness is open. It's generous with time, with affection, with reward, and even with encouragement. If you're going to be kind, this is the type of person that you are. A kind person has no problem giving in various ways because he realizes that everything has been given to him by God in the first place. So a kind person who walks in this fruit is kind and generous with their money, with their time, with their abilities, with spoken words. They're kind in every aspect of their lives. It's, it's really interesting, the same word, Jesus uses the same word, and this, this is the part that really threw me for a loop in this message. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Verse 29, this is the part that, verse 30 is the part that got me. Verse 29 says, take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Great things. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. You ready for this? The word easy in that context is the same exact word Paul uses for kindness. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My yoke is kindness. My yoke is generosity. We think about the yoke as being this heavy thing, because a yoke is a heavy thing that sits on the neck of, a, of two animals and guides them in the right direction, right? Jesus is saying, I'm putting my yoke on you, which is you and me together. We're going to go in this direction, but it's a yoke of kindness, we translate that to say life is so difficult to live in a Christian way. I've got to be patient. I've got to be loving. And I've got to be, I've got to be, I've got to be, I've got to be. But the problem is we take that and put it on us and say, this is overwhelming. This is a burden. But Jesus said, my yoke that I'm giving you is easy. It is kindness. It is, ready for this, useful. I was like, wow. Like this, I didn't, I never even saw this before in all my years of Bible study and reading this passage of scripture to understand that the yoke that Jesus has given me is one of kindness. It's useful, it's generous. I'm thinking, wow, to actually place, and whatever that is, I'll use myself as an example, the call of God to plant and pastor a church, that was generosity. That was kind. That was a kind thing to do to me. Let me tell you, there have been moments the last thing I thought it was was kind. There have been moments where I'm like, this isn't kind. Matter of fact, this is kind of cruel and unusual punishment. But the reality is what Jesus calls you to, how Jesus calls you to live is useful and it's generous. I was like, wow. So interestingly enough, Jesus used this same word that Paul did in referencing following him.
Last thing I want to share with you is this is this idea of goodness. And the reason I'm not spending a ton of time on the two of these together individually is because they're similar together. But the word goodness in its original language literally means, it means to show yourself as spiritual and moral excellence. It's similar to kindness, but the main difference is that it refers to what a person actually does rather than a level that they have actually achieved. Because it says showing yourself as spiritual or moral excellence. It's actually referring to what you, people see versus what you might have achieved. Because you can translate that and, th- and interpret that to say, oh, well, spiritual moral excellence means I've made myself as an elder in the church. I've gotten myself to be an elder in a church. Or I've gotten myself to be a pastor of a church. Or I've gotten myself to be this in my, in my job. Or whatever the case may be, we feel like we've arrived to this, this place of excellence, this moral excellence and spiritual excellence. And oftentimes it relates to, it equates to us thinking that we're better than someone. I mean, I've sat with pastors who it's clear that they think that they're better than me. And I'm cool with it because it's like, eh, hey, whatever. But we put our, get ourselves, but see here the reality is it says that, that we ought to be in a place of showing ourselves a spiritual moral excellence. But spirit, true spiritual and moral excellence means I walk out this fruit with everyone in my life. It's not a I've achieved something that you haven't achieved, so listen to me. Do what I tell you to do. But goodness Goodness wants, to, wants good for others. It's interested in the challenges others face and does good things for the good of other people. Kindness is about attitude. Goodness is more about acts. Patience, kindness, and goodness are less about how a person feels and more about one's relationship with other people. Matter of fact, it's illustrated by Paul in the book of Romans to the Roman church in 8, chapter 8, verse 28. We all know this, and the Bible says, and, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That word good in that context is the same word that he uses in Galatians when he talks about goodness. It's about the act. It's about this moral excellence. So if you look at it, Paul is saying, God causes everything to work towards moral excellence in, 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 our, in our lives. It works towards an act of goodness in our lives. So to say that, that God, Jesus says, because uh, Paul's actually paraphrasing some things that Jesus said, but to say that God causes everything to work for our good doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be perfect for us, but rather it's going to be what actually leads us in the direction that he's called us to be. In goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control and peace and patience and love and joy. Not to say, hey, this is all messed up, but it's going to be good for you. I'm going to make sure you get a car out of this. Man, I tell you what, I'm seeing more and more and more people on my thread on Facebook laming and claiming what they think it belongs to them. I just had a friend who posted that, that they, well, they had a dream and they woke up and they had this certain type of car that is a $100,000 plus car. They had this certain type of house in this certain type of neighborhood. And then they said, I'm claiming it in Jesus' name. And I'm like, whoa, y'all messed up and missing it all because that's not gospel. When Paul says, when God says, I, I, call, I've got, I use everything for the good of those who love God, means it's good for moral excellence, not for materialistic things. But because we cannot connect materialistic things to moral excellence, we have to 
we, we, we want to lay on one of those sides. So in order for me to experience good from God, I got to have stuff. Rather than, I'm fine with just peace. Matter of fact, I would be rejoicing if I became a very, very long-suffering person. You could give me nothing else in my life forever, Jesus. Just make me more patient. That's obviously not how that works. He's given me opportunity to be patient. The rest of the work is on me. But I would prefer that over anything else that's materialistic because that's going to bring me actual more peace. Matter of fact, Paul then, Paul does a lot of talking about a lot of these things consistently to all the different churches. Matter of fact, worship team, if you could come unwrap up this message right here with this part of it. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul says, So we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Same word, same good word, same translation, good things that your faith prompts you to do. Your faith should prompt you to be generous. Your faith should prompt you to be a servant of others. Your faith should prompt you to worship. Your faith should prompt you to pray. Your faith should prompt you to speak out what God has done in your life. These are things your faith should prompt you to do. And Paul's praying for you. He's saying, I'm asking God to enable you to live this, wor- this life worthy of his call. Because the reality is, in order to live a life worthy of his call, you will reflect Galatians chapter 5 and the fruit of the Spirit. That's what it truly means to live this Spirit-filled, Spirit-led life because it's showing that you are worthy of the call of God. He already believed you to be worthy of his call when he sent his son to suffer and die for you. Now your life and your walk shows that worthiness. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you're not going to fall down and fail. It just simply means that this is the direction and the path of your life and how you will live from today on. He goes on to say, verse number 12, so he says, we keep praying for you and asking God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you, his, give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. And then he says, then the name of the Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live. And you will be honored along with him. Come on. God says that the way you live will bring honor to Jesus. And because you live and bring honor to Jesus, you will yourself be honored. Somebody's getting it. Somebody understands it. See, there's a place of honor for you and I because it's connected directly to how, we, how God receives honor, how Jesus receives glory. Because we say that, God, in the name of Jesus, receive all glory and all honor and praise be unto your name. We say things like that. But the reality is when we actually honor God that way with our lives, not just our lips, then we find ourselves seating, sitting in a place of honor. And it's all made possible by the grace of our God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I close, of course, one who experiences joy, experiences love, joy, and peace. This is how this works. The one who experiences love, joy, and peace and that inward change will soon cultivate patience, kindness, and goodness. Because one set of virtues stem from another set of virtues. This is just the natural order of your journey with Christ. And it is just that as a journey. I've been serving 
God over 20 years and still I'm on the same journey you are. These are things that God is working out in my life every single day because my desire, my sole desire to live on this earth is to bring glory and honor to my Father. I mean, think about it. It's innate in us. It's DNA wired in us. How many of you have done something specifically at some point in time in your life just for your dad? Just to, just to, just to maybe hear him say, son, I'm proud of you. I joined the United States Army to hear my dad say, I'm proud of you. I didn't do it because I wanted to. I didn't do it because I didn't have any other options. I turned down all kinds of options to join the army just to hear dad say, I'm proud of you, son. It's DNA wired within us. And and, and Paul is saying that when we live out our life worthy of his call, bringing him honor, that we will then receive honor. And ultimately on that end, that faithful day, hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the point of all of this. Love, joy, and peace are manifestations of God's love stirring in our souls, while patience and kindness and goodness are manifestations of God's love affecting how we deal with other people. The Holy Spirit provides the revelation of the gospel to produce the first group and then provides the opportunities and the teaching and the discipline that produces the second group. God's not going to magically give you favor to be patient and to be kind and to be good. He's actually going to give you opportunities to be patient and to be kind and to be good. That's how that works. How you doing? How you doing in those opportunities? If you look on your note sheet, this is how we're going to close service today. If you look on your note sheet, this is how we're going to close service today. It's got a self-reflection time. Rather than me, let's making it practical. I said, let's, let's, let's reflect upon self today. Because here's the reality. You're only going to grow as much as you're willing to be honest with yourself. I am very, one of the things I can tell you, and as you hear in my preaching, I'm very transparent because I am very aware of my shortcomings. I am very aware of my failures and how, uh, how that looks. And, and because of that, I know that I can grow and get better. Matter of fact, I was sitting in that men's group and I heard somebody in that group say, you are different today than you were five years ago when I knew you. That's all I want to be. I want to grow and I want to be better than I used to be. This is how you get there. Three questions I want you to take a few minutes to answer while our worship team is going to lead us. Number one, how can I put on patience in my life? Yes, I said put on because it's like putting clothes on. You put your jeans on and when you put your pants on, here's what I want you to do. In the left leg, God, help me. Give me opportunities to be patient and then quicken my spirit to respond patiently. As you put it on, it's, it's honestly, that's the armor of God. When it says put on, it literally means to dress yourself. So you're dressing yourself in patience. Question number one. Number two, what is one specific act of kindness you can take this week? No, don't be general and say, oh, I can give some homeless person money. You have got issues. You can, you can point to the last couple weeks of your lives, and you can specifically recall a moment when you were not necessarily kind, where you're, you weren't useful to someone else. So I want you to specifically put on there, one specific act of kindness I know I can take this week. And then number three, 
celebrate. How has someone shown goodness to you in your life that you then can in turn reflect into others, other lives? How can I put on patience? What's a specific act of kindness? And how has someone shown goodness to me in my life that I can reflect? Be specific. You don't have to write a dissertation or 12 paragraphs, but be specific.